Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both in Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde, the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they still hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So it is the new year. It is 2021. Well, actually, Austin and I are recording this on New Year's Eve. So it's still not 2021. I hope it comes around. Yeah, the world could end tomorrow at midnight. You never know. For all I know, it could be the 13th month of 2020. Like we could have <laughs> we could have a 13th month come out of nowhere. It's uh, December 32nd. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? But it is a it is our New Year's episode and we decided to do something a little different again. Well, yeah, last week we or the last episode. We had our Christmas special where we didn't talk about one film. We talked about a group of films, some of our memories. But this week we are going to be talking about a specific movie, but it's not in our usual forte. Normally, we like to talk about films that came out before 2008, right? Uh, the 2008 old, or before 2008 or before. Exactly. Today, we're going to be talking about a film that came out in 2012. And why are we talking about a film that came out in 2012? Because this film is about one of the biggest shifts in the film industry. The change from shooting on film cameras to digital cameras. The film is called Side by Side, and it's... uh. It has Keanu Reeves interviewing a bunch of different people from the industry. You, you've directors, producers, executives. Like James Cameron, J David Fincher, the Wachowskis. David Lynch. My favorite. Robert Rodriguez. Martin Scorsese. He talks to cinematographers for Nolan for some of the, the best pictures of all time. Scorsese cinematographers in it. Mar uh, Francis Ford Coppola cinematographer. They're all in this documentary and what they're talking about is what the shift from digital camera what the shift to digital cameras means for the industry now why are we talking about this why are we talking about this film about film cameras well this past year the pandemic happened and theaters just like many other industries was gut punched and recently Warner Brothers, AT&T, Warner Media, whoever the I don't, big Warner Brother conglomerate decided to start releasing all of their 2021 films not only in theaters but in their new VOD platform for no extra cost. Unlike the Disney Plus thing where you could watch Mulan in when did it come out? Uh October. October? Okay. You could watch Mulan in October but you had to pay what 40 bucks? Yeah, 30 bucks. 30 I think bucks. it was 30 bucks. The day of its release, you could watch Wonder Woman 1984, day one, on HBO Max for no additional cost. And the same for every film from Warner Brothers in 2021. That means Godzilla vs. King Kong. Uh, Dune. Mortal Kombat. Matrix 4. And the list goes on. These are not, and these are not mid-budget dramas or thrillers. These are big blockbuster action films. When we do our like, oh, these are the top 10 grossing movies of, 20, of 1984 or whatever, you know, 
these are the kinds of movies that you'd expect to see on that list for 2021. And this is a huge shift. Huge. And nobody knows what this is going to bring. You have some people saying that theaters are dead. Others are saying that this is great for the consumers. A lot of people are unhappy about this deal. I'm pretty unhappy. But that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. We're going to be talking about the HBO Max deal and how Austin and I feel. But instead of just coming out here and making a two-hour podcast of us talking about it and rereading articles, we decided that it would be fun to watch a documentary that talked about one of the biggest shifts in the industry and seeing how people felt about that shift. And maybe if we could take anything from that documentary and maybe extrapolate it to the theater distribution side of it because one of the biggest things about the documentary is the digitization of the filmmaking process it talks about uh, digitizing the editing process digitizing the the cameras that we're using digitizing the distribution side of it and back in 2012 it was a big thing i mean netflix was one of the biggest streaming platforms there it was growing immensely and a lot of people it made a lot of people in the industry really nervous, too. And now, eight years later, everyone has a fucking streaming service. There's a streaming service up the wazoo. Apple had to get in on this. So streaming is the future. Now, is it going to kill theaters? Is it going? We don't know. So maybe we've seen what digital cameras have done to the industry. And watching this documentary that was released eight years ago, it might be kind of interesting to look back in hindsight and say, wow, maybe this person was overreacting. Oh, no, this person was right on. And maybe we could try to see, well, let's make some predictions. Let's see what they've said, how things really turned out, and see if that applies to the distribution side of film. Let's see Let's see what's happening. What if, what if the people that, that were in the documentary, what are they up to now? Nolan is in it. His cinematographer, David Fincher. David Fincher just signed an exclusivity deal with Netflix. That has happened in the past eight years. So I think it'd be really interesting to talk about this deal through the lens of this documentary. And believe it or not, this isn't the first time something like this has happened within the film industry. You know, before the digitization digitization of film, you know, there was this thing called color picture where now all of a sudden movies are in color. And there were some people who thought that that was going to be the death of cinema. Before that, we had movies that had sound. And movies before that didn't have sound, and the people who made those silent films are like, well, sound is going to be the death of cinema. And now t- today, you have people saying that streaming is going to be the death of cinema. And I personally, I don't think it is. Well, it's funny that you say that because there's, a, uh, there's another change that drastically changed how the industry worked. The creation of the television. Oh, yeah. Because now mm-hmm. now you had a TV at home and now you had to have programs and now you had to fill that TV with programming. And, you know, that took eyes away from theaters. I mean, Gone with oh, the yeah. Wind, adjusted for inflation, is the highest grossing film of all time. But I don't really think they had that many TVs back then. I don't even think yeah. TVs were invented. They weren't as common as they are <laughs> as they became after that, like in the 50s and, and whatnot. So cinema has gone through all these changes. I mean, yes, yeah, from 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 the from the cameras to the implementation of sound and color 
And people were saying when sound was added that that's the that, that film is a visual medium that's you put in sound and it's yeah. distracting. But then you had someone like Fritz Lang come in and just slap those bitches around and say, no, this is this is another tool that we need. And it's funny because it echoes what Scorsese says in this documentary. He's like, digital cameras are just another tool mm-hmm. that a painter has, you know, that a director yeah. has. And you just paint with it. And you could look at distribution. Uh, you could look at streaming distribution as the same way, where it's like it's another tool that you have to get your project out. Maybe not so much an artistic choice, but more about. Oh well, it when it might actually when you yeah. think about it. But that's why we want to talk about this because we want to we because this is a monument monumental shift. It it has the potential to be a a monumental shift in the way movies are shown. And how they're presented. And we want to look at all the angles. So today, we're bringing in two very special guests for this episode. And we're going to be talking to each of them and getting their thoughts on what they think about this new HBO Max deal. The first one's going to be Christopher Mims. He has been following theaters. He's been following this pandemic very closely. And following all the news revolving around theaters and studios. He covered... When AMC, when a when Universal pissed off AMC, and now Warner's and all, he's been following it very closely. And he's an up and coming filmmaker who's made plenty of short films and wants to get his start in the industry. How is this deal going to affect him? What's his YouTube channel called? His YouTube channel is called Frame Rate. He's got a few videos already about the, how the pandemic has affected theaters. They're worth they're worth checking out. They've got a lot of detailed information. Go check them out. And who is our good, who's going to be our second guest, Austin? Our second guest is someone we went to UCI with. His name is Dylan Demoter. Dylan has edited a lot of short films. He edited a feature-length film, uh, Boiling Pot, I think, right? Yeah. So, and now he works. He works on the distribution side of Hollywood. I actually saw Dylan at one of the screenings, one of the films that he was a part of. So if you don't, if you're not aware, Austin and I used to work on the marketing side of the industry. We would we would have to go to these uh, test screening with audiences, get their reactions. And at one of these test screenings, I saw Dylan and I caught up with him and we're bringing him on because we want to see what someone in the industry, especially on the distribution side, has to think about all this because this literally directs directly affects his job. Do you think we should maybe explain a little bit what distribution means uh if you want go for it uh basically you have your production company you know the one that makes the movie and then they give it to another company oftentimes it's one that's in-house which is really weird uh in this film is this company this distribution company is responsible for getting that movie in theaters so for example you could have say warner brothers cover the cost of the production but then you could have another studio handle the distribution side that is not atypical. That happens all the time because sometimes the cost of these things is so great that one company can't manage it on its own. And Austin works with the distributors and he has Dylan, to work with Dylan oh, works. Wait, who did I say? You said Austin. Oh, sorry. And Dylan works with the distribution side of this. So we'll have him on probably getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty of what specifically he does, what he thinks of the industry, if he's heard anything. And, and we'll how, have both of like, dramatically his job must have changed since there's no more theaters right now. 
Oh, phenomenal question. Absolutely. Is he even work? Is he even able to work right now? I'm sure. I'm sure they've. That's a good question. Yeah. I think that's definitely something we should be like for, for us, you know, like for the marketing side, like we can't test movies in a theater because we can't get people in a theater. It's a pandemic. Can't have them indoors for two hours, breathing and coughing in the same room. <laughs> um, exactly. And yeah. so what this it'd be really interesting to see how this pandemic has personally affected that side of the business and also what's going to come in 2021, because I don't think. That this, you know, VOD plus theater release strategy is going to be contained to 2021 only. This might be the future. Yeah. And it, Netflix and, already has a head start with because they already make their movies for the streaming service already. Exactly. So there is clearly a demand for it. So we'll see. This is going to be a really interesting episode. It's, it's not going to be so much about what kind of funny shit we found in something, but you know, this is a big shift. And uh, if you've been wondering, or this is going to be a big shift in the industry and it's going to be interesting. It's a, it's an episode where we are also going to be learning from people who might have a different perspective than us. So sit back, relax, enjoy. I recommend watching side by side. Austin and I have already seen it, but if you guys haven't, I recommend renting it. Uh, Amazon prime. It's also on canopy. So if you have an L.A. library card, you could sign up for Canopy, have access to a ton of great films for free. You could also watch it on IMDb TV for free. With uh, they, they try to give you commercials in that one, but none of the commercials loaded for me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an hour and a half. And it's got Keanu Reeves as the main interviewer. Yeah. So even if you have no interest, but you love Keanu Reeves, check it out. He's pretty cool in it. It's also a really great insight on the industry. Uh, unlike the kind of personalities that are responsible for the movies that we see. You you see so many different types of personalities in this, and they all have an opinion about this one thing, and it's pretty fucking funny to watch. It, it is pretty funny when someone is like, this isn't cinema, and if you think it is, you're kidding yourself. And then someone else who's just like totally embracing it. You have a hodgepodge. You have everyone from execs to consumers to manufacturers to film students to veterans to cinematographers everyone all from different generations too yeah because you have young cinematographers old ass cinematographers new directors old ass directors and they are all giving their opinions so it's pretty yeah. fun to watch and it's only an hour and a half easy peasy lemon squeezing so join us for the special episode of retrograde for our our new year's special retrograde episode which is not about another movie but it's, a, it's about way bigger than that. It's about all movies. The future of all movies. Damn. Shit, this just got serious. It is. <laughs> all right, see you guys. The documentary you're doing is called Side by Side. And it's a documentary about the science, art, and impact of digital cinema. A hundred years of photochemical filmmaking right now has reached a kind of threshold tipping point. In this conversation, in this kind of intersection of time, it's historic. We've kind of come to this place where, is it the end of film? Where are we today? It's exciting because it's, it's, a, re, it's a reinvention of a new medium. If the photochemical process has worked its way through our culture, 
we're on to another level. All right. We are back from watching Side by Side. And with us is our, what, third guest of the podcast now? Leanna was one. Leanna. And then Brandon's for our Blues Brothers episode, which was already recorded. Yes. Not so, out yet, but yeah, so that's we, a good episode. I guess episode. You're, you're, he's our second guest, but we know he's secretly our third guest. Chris Mims. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and it's good to know where I stand. You know what I mean? Third guest, <laughs> number three, baby. Prime third guest material over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. All you new, hey, third all one. you new podcasts out here. Get your first guest. Get your second guest. Third guest right here. Hey man, third's better than fourth. Hey, so. He's like the Thomas Jefferson of guests right Not now. Not bad. Oh my Not god. <laughs> Now you're not. Now you're not George Washington. That's yeah, Austin's that, girlfriend, Leanna. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, go ahead, George. So, Christopher, Chris, Christopher, uh, you have made. I've known you when we met on the feature film Book of Truth back in 2015. Ah, uh, yes, you were a part of this. Were the days? <gasps> this were the Be days. Claim. Book of Truth is a feature film that we made, and. Uh, it's a story on it. It's a story for another. I'll say, I'll, I'll say this about the experience, though. I I knew, all right. I knew my first day on set, it was going to be something special. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. Oh man! When, I, when everyone I on this set was going to be successful. <laughs> <laughs> when I read the script and I read that there were two car accidents, not one but two, I knew. This is going to be something to remember. <laughs> but you and I met uh, back in 2015. And ever since I've known you, you've been making short films. Uh, I know you were filming FPS Fred for a while. Then you moved on to Cheater's Ring. Then directorial. Or the director and then directorial. Yep, yep, yep. And you've been... you've is, been Is directorial a sequel of director? It is not. It's um, what came out of the ashes of what was the director <laughs> so the director was its own script um and uh we attempted at making it got to about day one i was not feeling it and then i rewrote it and it became directorial and then we actually finished that one but the script and so like what we shot of the director is still online you know so people can see that we actually worked on it but it wasn't ever completed, completed. Ah, oh. so it'll be like uh, on your B sides when exactly. you die. Exactly. <laughs> Flip the tape over. You can see. Oh, look at! I don't know what to think about that, but it's there. <laughs> so you're one of the few people that I know that have been actively filming. You've gotten a gr large group of people together on every shoot. You've managed to get some of the best equipment that you could get on a set for like a really small set because you you interned at Sony, and you were able you had access to the F65 and the F55, which are big cameras used on professional Hollywood sets, uh, giving us a chance to work with it, and. You still have more shorts planned. You still have. You are and you. If uh, you are also planning on starting the YouTube ch uh, YouTube channel, and kind of a, a group that focuses on film and video games. So you are actively, constantly filming and planning for the next thing. Pretty much. You wanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna break into the industry. You've you've been very upfront about that. And now I'm curious. 
before we talk about side by side, just what do you what are your overall thoughts as to just this whole what's come from this pandemic? I mean, the 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 lines between the, theatrical windows and releases and streaming are kind of coming closer and closer every month. Well, I think, um, <clears throat> like you said, we'll get into it, but in broad strokes, I think that. What's happening to theatrical distribution right now in a theatrical window was something that everyone has been predicting and has seen coming for years now, but the pandemic has taken this inevitable inevitable ebb and flow of the industry and absolutely cranked it to 10. I mean, things that we thought were going to take a decade all and happened in one year, and so the industry is now reeling I think, to consult itself. And so now we're split between the people who said, eh, it was going to happen anyway, just let it happen, and the people who thought that they had more time and are going to struggle their best against it. And like I said, we'll get into more detail, but that's where I see it currently right now. How is how is the pandemic affect your shoots? Well, they don't happen. <laughs> and that's Not at all? Nah, I mean, that uh, we... Um, I had a short film planned for, uh, that was this was uh, God, a year from now. A it year, was in January. Uh, I no, we were supposed to shoot that in December of 2019. Now, um, that's when we were supposed to shoot on my way, which was the latest short film. It didn't happen uh, due to some scheduling stuff, and then we were gonna push to early at like Q1 of 2020, and then the pandemic hit. Or, well, it didn't hit, but it, you know, quarantine went into effect. Um, mm. So, holy shit. Yeah, I didn't even realize it had been so long. But, yeah, it they, they, yeah. Don't, uh, they don't happen now. Um, we're just not able to meet in ways that I would feel comfortable um, getting that many people of different backgrounds together. Um, which is why we've pivoted a little bit. Um and making uh, or attempting to make some more YouTube content because that is at least a type of production I can feel comfortable bringing people in on. It's a lot easier to bubble people, I think, um, and put them in spaces mm -hmm. that are safer. So we're going to attempt to do that until we're able to go outside and play again. Um, <laughs> you know, so hopefully, hopefully that's the end of the year and it's going to give us um, our group of, of, filmmakers the time to buy their time work on their scripts save that money so at the end of the year if it's a thing we can go out and shoot these short films and in the meantime we'll be shooting what they call content um for the internet <laughs> uh and figure that out so that's the plan like george says we're always figuring things out but as far as yeah as far as how the pandemic has affected i think the independent filmmaker which i guess i am the uh you know it, it's it's definitely tougher to do and tougher to convince people to do it, I think. Now, let me go to Austin real quick. What are your thoughts? We, we haven't spoken too much about this, but what are your thoughts about what I asked earlier about this, uh, about theatrical windows and streaming coming closer together? I think I the, the movie theater experience is my favorite way to watch a movie. So I'm, I'm sad that it, it seems like we're not, it's going to be a while before I'm going to get to do that again. But I got to admit, I am kind of excited to watch Tenet with subtitles on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am excited to, to watch Dune and Matrix 4. 
like those start those sound like very real possibilities that I could be experiencing at home. So on the consumer side, I am looking forward to it, but you know as as someone who also wants to like be in the industry, I am kind of worried about you know theaters going away good answer good answer but uh boo <laughs> what is, fake fan what is family feud fake fan. Good, answer, good answer boo <laughs> good answer boo <laughs> now i well just i mean to quickly summarize um i'm i'm also sad uh kind of i think i'm kind i lean a little bit more on the negative side i'm a little worried i'm more worried and if anything i'm not really excited about it i mean from a consumer standpoint, it's a good move. It's a great move. But I, I just kind of like Austin, I am also very much a theater-going experience. I love it. I cherish it. <clears throat> that being said, I, I'm one of those people that's just like, it was an inevitability that things were going to go to streaming. It was just a matter of when. Uh, and I was still hoping that we would be years away from this. But like Chris said, this pandemic has only accelerated that. I am sad. Uh, kind of frustrated and that being said though i mean it this makes the most sense i mean when you release something in theaters right now you are encouraging people to go out and people are already looking for excuses to leave their houses and stuff la is one of the most dangerous parts in the country in the world with this uh, during this pandemic right now uh january 4th look at the news people are dying every day it's a shitty situation because there's no right move I just wish it didn't come at the cost of people going to these movie theater experiences, having these experiences when they open back up. For now, it's fine, but I, my concern is that this thing isn't going to stop in 2021. It's going to happen from here on out. And Why, uh, why does it make you sad? It, it's for a lot of reasons. Um, so I think... Well, I, you, wait, wait, you're, you're sad did, that did Chris you... Chris say how he feels about it? You, you'll be sad because you think it's going to go away completely or do you think are you sad because it's going to shrink do you think it's going to it's going to shrink do you think it'll go away completely no i no 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 absolutely not i think then why why be sad i think they're going to go of the way of the of theaters of plays steven spielberg and george lucas said a long time ago in an interview that they they kind of imagined this happening where theaters were going to be kind of we're going to become shifted we're going to shift from these experiences that you had publicly, though they were pretty cheap and affordable to these AAA experiences, for lack of a better term, where... It's going to become like a more premium experience. You exactly, mean. yeah, where you're going to have mm. to pay way uh, like hundreds higher. Hundreds of dollars. Uh, potentially. Uh, I mean, mm. who's willing to pay $100 to go see Tenant? I mean, I am, but I mean... <laughs> you pay $200 to watch Drive in your home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's... Exactly. Um... And I'm sure there are a lot of people who would want to, but it's kind of sad because I mean you are gonna she, it's gonna be a much smaller that way. I'd pay a hundred bucks to watch Tenet before I paid a hundred bucks to watch Cats on like Broadway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh Just yeah, I know how many um, more people are involved in work on the movie. It seems like in comparison, you know what I mean? Well, that's I think it's movies are movies are always going to have their theater going audiences that cherish that particular experience so they're willing to pay more but on top of, on top of it just costing way more because i like watching a lot of films in theaters but if pr t prices go up that high i mean it's it's gonna have to get yeah. to a point where i have to start really picking and choosing i loved watching cats in theaters um i was happy that i didn't have to pay too much but if and look hundred dollars that's 
probably not going to happen. But I could see 50. I could yeah. see 40. And I I guarantee you I am not spending $40 to watch Cats. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to spend 40 on just most movies like that, you know? And for me, the fun is kind of experimenting and seeing what films have a good impact because yeah i saw tenant in theaters when um when it was uh playing and of course i'm gonna watch christopher nolan's tenant like i'm gonna watch quentin tarantino's films in theaters but some of the film some of the experiences i've had in theaters drive krampus mother mission possible fall like these are films that had a huge impact for me and seeing them in theaters definitely had an experience on me it's kind of like uh i never got to see children of men in theaters but when I finally did at the Cinerama Dome, it's an entirely different experience. And part of me is a little concerned that that experience, that moment of seeing something larger than life for the first time in that kind of setting is going to decrease a lot. It's, never, it's not going to go away, but it's going to significantly drop. And it's one of my favorite pastimes, too, going to movie theaters. Well, I love it. I think, in, in, in my opinion... I think it's still a little too soon to know if theaters will shrink. And this is for a reason just to, I know we haven't talked about the fact that we watched, we watched a documentary called side by side. And the reason I think that we still have yet to really know if the, if theaters are going to shrink in size and scope is well, the money, um, and while yes, it seems like it, it's it's easier and more accessible for streaming services to be a thing, we don't have a few sample sizes uh, for data, and that is a good movie <laughs> uh, dropping on a streaming service and us getting the numbers for how much it really made, and things opening back up and a good movie dropping and seeing a significant decrease in people going to the theaters. Because as we all know, the global box office is so much fucking money that even if you wanted to push your new little streaming service, the suits are going to be like, well, that's cute, HBO Max, but we're going to go get $23 you know, billion or however much whatever crazy amount of money you get for opening in theaters worldwide um, where it's like, you know, you just can't pass that up. And I think Warner brothers has made a move in one year that for our four year that I think saves them from a lot of grief potentially with um, the quarantine. But I just, you know, I can't see, that far ahead where i think that we're gonna lose theaters to that capacity we just haven't seen empty seats yet with the opportunity but you know uh i do think that the convenience of having it right at your computer screen is gonna is gonna sway a lot of people to stay home um well it's such a it's just such a good deal right from a consumer standpoint i even even a even a theater guy like myself has to admit this is way too good of a deal you know that you know i if i you know if theaters were open i'd like to go watch wonder woman in theaters but 
even I have to realize, like, man, this is going to cost me a bit when I could just watch it at home. Right. You know what I mean? And there's also, um, you know, the, the internet that's involved, right? Like, a movie like Wonder Woman 84, which I was not personally super excited to see, but may have seen... You weren't excited to see? I, I was... I, I personally was not very excited to see it. Mm. Um, that... Are you excited to see any of those movies on the Warner Brothers? Well, well yes. I just, I just mean, in, in general, the example of someone maybe staying home instead of going to the theaters... Netflix mm-hmm. likes to drop their new releases at 12 a.m., right? Um, if, say, mm-hmm. more streaming services operate like that, I don't know if HBO Max operates like that, if it happens, like, right on the dot. But say that comes out on... And, and say, yeah, I'm not excited about Wonder Woman 84, but I might go see it in theaters with some friends if they really want to see it, right? I'll shell out 10 to 15 bucks. Fuck it, mm-hmm. you know? But say we're in a world where it drops on a streaming service and drops in theaters the same day. It drops at 12 a.m. and the embargo is lifted. And now I'm seeing tweets about Wonder Woman isn't good. I hated Wonder Woman, yada, yada. Now I already know, you know what I mean, that I don't want to see this movie. Mm. Um, And I'm going to be less likely to go out now, even if I've made plans um at 12 p.m later that day to go see it because i already people have already seen it and they're like eh or someone like you know i have a younger brother who watches stuff at 12 a.m when it drops on netflix Hmm. he might be willing to see something like tenet right in theaters but his curiosity at 12 a.m is gonna poke him so much and he's not a big film person right he 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 likes movies he watches a lot Mm -hmm. of tv but he's not like one of us so his curiosity mm-hmm. has the best of him so much that at 12 a.m., he's like, well, the play button's there. I mean, yeah, I want to see the movie in theaters, but... I'm in bed. I'm in bed. The TV's in front of me. I can't sleep. I might as well hit the play button. And now he might finish the movie. He might only get 30 minutes of into it, but now he already has a gauge for does he like this movie or not, and does he now want to go spend $15 to finish it or to watch it again? So that's definitely going to be a thing if uh, we continue down this road or, you know, that's if there's no theatrical window at all versus if it's just shrunken to oblivion. Did you see Tenet in theaters? I did. I did. I saw it with uh, you and I saw it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we if if Tenet was hitting the streaming service on the same day, would you guys have gone to see it anyway? Hell yeah. I but I would be hard pressed not to watch it at 12 a.m. if it dropped. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. on a streaming service, I'd yeah. be like, I really want to watch this like right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, real quick before we just so audience, just so any listeners who are curious, these are the films that Warner Brothers is releasing for 2021. These are all of them, okay, that are being released simultaneously in theaters. And on HBO Max for no extra cost. We just had Wonder Woman 84. This isn't in the order that they're coming out in. But, you know, these are the films. So it's going to be Godzilla vs. Kong. The Suicide Squad. Directed by uh, James Gunn. Dune. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Starring Timothy Chalamet. Then you have The Matrix 4. With Keanu Reeves. Uh, Other films that are coming out. The Little Things. Judas and the Black Messiah. Tom and Jerry. Mortal Kombat, <laughs> Tom and Jerry, yep. What? You got Tom and Jerry, Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, 
the Lin Manuel Miranda musical In the Heights, Space Jam, A New Legacy with LeBron James, Reminisce, Reminiscence, I can't talk, I can't speak English, uh, Malignant, The Many Saints of Newark, Will Smith's King Richard, and Cry Macho. Those are all the films coming out from Warner Brothers in 2021. Now, there are some clear ones where it's like I would want to see, I think most audiences would like to see that in movie theaters. There are some that completely stand out, Godzilla vs. Kong. But some of the other ones, a little bit low-key. Not really sure what they're about. Not really... There hasn't been a trailer drop for some of them. So you could say that the HBO Max deal really benefits those films. Because in a way, they are being exposed to a wider audience. Maybe someone who wouldn't have seen King Richard or Malignant Reminiscence uh, in the Heights. Maybe someone would go watch that because of HBO Max. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, maybe. Definitely. I, I, I don't know how that translates directly into a monetary value you know what i mean like yeah that's the if thing you didn't if you didn't like, plan you... on watching tom and jerry but you already had hbo mm. max and you click on it does that really mean the studio won like I, I like if you were gonna have it for the rest of the year anyway if you got either a monthly subscription or i don't know if they have an option for a, an annual subscription but does that really translate those eyeballs there um two dollars whereas you know getting your theatrical window in i don't know i don't know for well, sure netflix, i don't know if we'll ever know for sure netflix has a weird way of judging whether a film is successful or not because they'll look at how many people actually viewed the film but it's a really good point that you bring up because i mean triple frontier was one of them where they say that was a watched film and it was successful but who, how many people have seen Triple Frontier? I really liked the film. I enjoyed it. But I not so many it. people have spoken about it. And I, we all have Netflix. So it's on our Netflix accounts right now. We could put it up, pull it up and watch it. Is that considered a success? I mean, now Netflix has this thing where they're, they have the top 10 views. You know, the top 10 things that are being watched in the country. Mank was only on that list for like one week. And it was at number 10. So is that considered a flop? It's really... the. The, the issue is these things are so uh, opaque. We can't see. We're still trying to find a way to judge whether something on streaming service is a success or not. You know what I mean? Stranger yeah, things clearly everything is. we do, everything like how we've measured whether or not it's a success is at the box office. It's at people exactly. paying for tickets to see them in a theater. And you hear about this was the highest grossing film of all time in October. So there yeah. is a clear distinction because dollars are being put in where they normally wouldn't have. But now, is it views? I mean, is it is it is it now like a YouTube thing where now the higher the views, the more successful you are? But the thing mm. about YouTube is you have ads. Yeah, and those ads generate revenue. Well, even still, I, I mean, the Netflix. Netflix for this entire time they put out their list of top ten. You know what the the most watched thing is on Netflix? The Office. No, or it was the I, Office. I think it was fucking Coco Coco Melon that off-brand ass caillou shitty animated children's show is that better than it's just like <laughs> you know what i mean like you know what that is that's that's uh parents you know with um uh working from right. home that need their kid distracted oh yeah of, of for course eight hours. But because we don't have any other way to measure it if we were to measure it that way as, as you were saying george then coco melon is a better more successful 
more accomplished film than Mank is and might ever will be. And that's that's such a wild it's such a wild because at this point we're just speculating. I'm sure Netflix has yeah. maybe some formula or something as to the, how they realize how they find something is successful or not. But it's I think it's fun. It's really interesting because I feel like we're mirroring the documentary right now. Um, because we we watch side by side, which just a quick reminder is about the change from film from celluloid to digital, and. It's funny because this conversation really just because there's an, a level of uncertainty among all of us. What you said, Chris, we have no idea what this is going to bring. You're absolutely right. We could be speculative. We could be worried or happy or excited. Or it doesn't matter. There is no protocol for this. There is no president for this. So we don't we really don't know. And it's kind of what all the people in this documentary felt because the entire doc is just explaining what the digital process is, interviewing a bunch of people and asking them what they think. And nobody really had a fucking clue back in 2012. Um, and even then, this was shot maybe a year or two earlier. Digital was still trying to get its find its leggings because the first film to win the best uh, the Academy Award for best cinematography was Slumdog Millionaire. The DP shows up in this film. Anthony, um, his first name's Anthony. He shot Slumdog Millionaire on digital. In 2008. Well, mostly on digital. And it won Best Cinematography? Huh? Mostly on digital. There was some film used. Uh, it, mostly on, yes, mostly on digital. But ever since then, there have been winners that have been completely shot on digital. So within a, within a few, within a decade, that entire shift has gone through. And I just think it's really funny because we were speculating, but we're really in the, in the fog, just like studio. You know now. who wasn't in the fog, though? <laughs> who? The Wachowskis. They said something in the documentary, I'm sure that you'll lay it in here, about how the virtual viewing experience is an inevitability. There's so many different ways to watch a movie. That shared experience aspect too, it's, you know, that's shifting, I mean, going to the movies. Well, it's also becoming much larger virtually, you know. Communal space will definitely expand virtually, so we'll start watching movies together in these sort of virtual worlds. Yeah and that will be inevitable. How do you have the pheromones get exchanged virtually? How do you, how do you bleed and sweat and, and be comfortable you and uncomfortable together? do all that together? in the theater, <laughs> in your trench coat? No, but laughing together and crying together. And in some way, the, the virtual experience is, is more rewarding because there's an actual dialogue going on. And uh, I know that you guys, along with some other friends, like to watch movies together on discord so yeah. we so we we all pull up netflix we all own netflix so we all decide on what film we're gonna watch we each put a a film in a hat we put it in a random generator whatever film gets picked we go up on uh, either on netflix or hulu we pull it up we all synchronize it and we watch it and meanwhile we have uh, our mics on so we're all talking to each other it is the virtual uh screening and this came from the pandemic. A few of our friends had to leave. They moved uh, away. And we used to hang out all the time. And this was kind of a way to kind of keep everyone together, keep everyone talking to each other so we could all still watch films. And it's turned out to be awesome. Even if they come back, even if we're all in close proximity, I still like to keep doing it because it's really fun. And that came directly from this pandemic. 
We never did it before. Well, I'll take We've you never one done further it. as far as the virtual space becoming um, the future of, of communal entertainment. What we're doing is trying to, and and and, and I'll, I'll make this an even broad, broader question um, stemming off of the movie. But what we're doing is trying to replicate watching a movie together at home, right? We're trying to get into a Discord, we chat for a little while, we put on the movie, sometimes we're talking over it, sometimes we're not, the movie goes off, we talk a little bit about the movie afterwards, sometimes we don't even talk about the movie afterwards, sometimes we're up for another movie, sometimes we're not. It's like hanging out with your friends at someone's house. That's what we're trying to replicate. But mm-hmm. the future of virtual communal entertainment might be completely separate of that. And that's what I think some people are really afraid of because you look at something like Fortnite, which hosts concerts and events in games. People watching, people understanding that other people are around them, but you're not talking to them. They're virtual avatars, they're jumping around. You get the perspective Mm -hmm. that you want. You watch this thing happen. Even further, watching people, a, a big game that's, that's blowing up right now is Rust, right? which has been around for a while, forever. But a lot of people are I playing it right Rust. now, which is a bunch of people. It's like Minecraft, except the server has everyone on it, right? So you're playing on a big server on a big piece of land, and you can be somewhere else building your house with your friends, and someone can be on the other side building their house with their friends, and someone else can drop in and fuck with both houses, right? And you don't even have to be playing. You can watch someone on stream playing with Mm -hmm. their friends and just be in a chat room, which is what a lot of younger people deem very viable entertainment, watching other people play games and using that game, which is already a communal space that's entertaining people, right? Because they're not, there's no objective. You're just in there kind of watching things going on. And then you have people in a chat, what we're doing about a movie talking with strangers about this game and i think that's what's scary about everything the theater losing its prominence and its power as a communal space for entertainment is what they're afraid of in in um with the the people more connected to film are afraid of or some of them are afraid of inside by side is this one of this one of the people that keanu interviews says he's worried about the lack of a tastemaker and that yes everything's democratized but now there's going to be a lot of junk and it's true there is a lot of junk (laughs) and you know you do you think there's already a lot of junk in movies like already i mean absolutely but i think per capita there's even more like everyone thought that jurassic well not everyone but some people thought that Jurassic Park and entering this blockbuster phase of filmmaking was going to introduce more junk. And it did, but there wasn't as much junk. I mean, there was definitely junk, but there's not such a mass of it. And now you can go on Netflix and find so much junk, an endless amount of junk, so much junk that you'll just sometimes sign out. I sometimes sign out of Netflix. Like, I can't even. <laughs> sift through all of this junk to find something like a hidden gem somewhere you know what i mean just because there's well, you, so you much spend, junk. you spend more time you spend more time looking for stuff to right. watch rather than oh i'm i want to watch unless it's like the season premiere of stranger things but for the most part you spend more time on netflix looking for stuff that is an actual activity yeah. and now. so that's what they were afraid of 
you know, this this lack. The, yes, it's democratized, but there's this lack of vision as far as filmmaking and the art of it would be lost without film. And there's a discipline to film that will be lost. I think what's scary about everything becoming online all the time and they're and the theater losing its power is like what what would we be afraid of of this it's like it's the loss of the auteur in a sense just because it's it's happening all the time it's entertainment it's just there you know what i mean now you don't even need to sanctify this experience that's been put together for you you just click a button to be entertained and that's it like you don't know what the premise is you don't know if there's a three-act structure you just click a button and something is streaming for you and i think that's what is scary about the theatrical model it i'm and this is like not even 10 years from not even five years from now maybe not even 10 years from now but i mean like truly down the line um as entertainment becomes more random and more even more democratized right anyone can pick up a camera shove it in their face and now be a creator entertainer and i think that's what's ultimately deeply you don't even need a camera you just need a phone even a phone yeah well yeah and be an entertainer and a lot of these personalities have no idea how to use a camera and yeah it's blown out in the background but shit they're funny you know what i mean and i think that's like i said this is deeply philosophical on this situation but i think that's what's really scary about um losing the sanctity of the theatrical experience in the long run is that entertainment will all just be one big thing and not like a curated experience for you and it's held in this church-like environment and you're to live with it in a certain way if that makes sense no see i i totally agree i think i i think you perfectly explained my anxieties because again um there is this conception that films are just entertainment that you're just there to watch something and enjoy it and have fun and i disagree i think that's part of it i like films to be entertaining but i also like it when films provoke me when they make me think and not less and less it feels like i'm watching films that have a certain theme behind it that now everything's just kind of looking and sounding everything's the same there's less variety and granted it's still there it's still very much there but i feel like there's a demand for this just growing uh enter there's just this demand for entertainment from all angles and the studios they they have to deliver right you know and and granted look people still and i'm not saying people are dumb or anything people still people like to joker you know think what you want about the film but it is an it is it, that was an artistic pursuit Todd Phillips looked at Marvel and he's like, I don't want to make that. I want to make this thing. I'm sure even DC, Warner Bros. were like, no, we don't want to make this because we don't know how profitable it's, how profitable it's going to be. It's clearly going to be very divisive. You are making him to be a villain. And he's like, I still want to make it. And it was a huge success. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's completely dead. But there is this, in my opinion, what I see is kind of like there is this a decay in the in the decay in how films are seen they're more as a source of entertainment kind of like a twitch channel compared to an actual art form where it might make you uncomfortable but that's kind of the point maybe the lead character is not all that great but that's the point you know and there is this church-like 
vibe to it when you see it in the movie theater and you know everyone's there and experiencing this thing on its own but that is slowly disappearing a little bit is it gonna be gone forever who the fuck knows but well i think that is that is a anxiety of mine a real i think also is is the trade worth it right because it sounds because in order to keep what you want george that means not everyone can make this stuff you know what i mean that means only either the best of the best or the people who are able to get in or you know uh, a select group of they have a pretty decent last name Hmm? (laughs) They have a famous last yeah, name. Or you have a famous last name. That means you can go and and make a movie. And whether it's shit or not is besides the point, right? Now, is that trade worth, you know, the democratization of entertainment in general? Of a 16-year-old kid deciding, I'm going to make my own TV network and it's going to be on YouTube. And him blowing up, you know what I mean? And now being signed by CAA and getting his own show. And, like, you might think it's shit, but it's getting tons of viewership. And, like, is is that trade worth it, do you think? And it, to me, it's not. So you but... – so and that's – and then we go back to side by side where it's like, you know, there's no tastemaker involved, so I don't like it. Yeah, I know it. You know what I mean? Like, even though the, the – the, the documentary almost paints them as, you know, old timey and even a little villainous. You know what I mean? But it's funny that you notice that because I, I thought the same thing. You have you have someone like David Lynch is like, it's the way of the future and this is what you got to go. But it paints someone as kind of Nolan, who's very much for the theatrical church like very hands on practical experience. It kind of in a way does age him up a little bit, you know, and. You have these people who are saying, well, it's it's a lot more practical and it's a lot more, you know, when you can see what you're filming, you know, with digital cameras, you could project it on a TV and you could see it on a much larger format. And you have someone like Nolan's like, you're kidding yourself if you think that's real. And then you have some of the cinematographers saying like, that was an art form that I owned. I was in, I was the camera guy. Nobody could do what I did. Mine was a trade. It was a discipline. One of the great pleasures of being a cameraman was that the people, the suits and the producers, well, they all think they know how to act, they all think they know how to write, they all think they know how to direct, but they knew they didn't know how to shoot. So if they really got on you, you could say, here, here's the media, you do it. And that would shut them up. But now, they're beginning to think they can shoot. It's not like it used to be. And that's happened in the industry so much. I mean, it happened with the, with cameras. It also happened with editing. And you have these these older generations saying like, yeah, you know, it's, some of them are saying it's great what these kids are doing, what they're able to do, but there's no uh, discipline to it. And it's it's fascinating because this is kind of this. We're at this point again where it's just like, you know, I, on one hand, I believe that now that these cameras and everyone should have a voice and go out and do your thing. But when it's something that I don't agree with or I'm like, no, let's not give this up. I get defensive totally it's yeah it's it's pretty funny how this thing these uh different shifts in the production side to the distribution kind of mirror each other i also think it's um it's interesting with the two movies that came out on christmas day the first two movies that dropped on a streaming service without an additional price involved which were soul and 
Wonder Woman 84, which are two movies that couldn't be more different, right? I mean, you have one (laughs) that's by a studio that's struggling to stay relevant in a field they probably don't need to be, they need to clearly sit back and reevaluate their priorities, right? And Warner Brothers with the DCEU, they make a movie that is a prequel with no bearings to their extended universe that's too long and that feels like a movie forced in our faces because they had to make it, right? They they can't not make a superhero movie for a year because they, they're too profitable. So they made a movie and then you have something like Soul, which is, I would argue, extremely unlike any Pixar movie that they've made thus far, right? It doesn't have, I mean, it has the, the kind of soul, um, ethereal backdrop that's kind of cartoony right but the main characters the main character is like a middle-aged black guy like how do you make a plush out of that you know what i mean it's extremely existential and it's not a movie like toy story where the vhs tape clicks and the kid yells or at least i can't imagine play it again play it again play it again you know what i mean like this is a heavy movie that's really i think for young adults um that is truly inspired looks like a next gen animated film and yeah is not strict something that is clearly something not to be strictly marketed towards children and so you have these two movies that are very different that show the different sides of the industry and how i think they're willing to to tackle their problems and the thing is we don't know which one you know what i mean which would have been kind of well, we know that Wonder Woman had more views. Oh, we do. No, yeah. I think I read that Soul had more views. Really? Yeah. See, that that's the fucking point. <laughs> yeah. Is we, we we looked at different articles and we can we could look we could Google it and maybe there's a number out there, but who the fuck knows? It's not like the box office. It's, yeah, because the if box you, office is like a definitive number. Like more people know? bought tickets to that one. Yeah, we wake up on Monday morning and we there is a list and how much they made. And if you start it, and there's no fake news involved with it. Someone counted that money. That shit is there. It is There is a spreadsheet explaining the entire process. But with these streaming services, who knows? And look, to, to your point, Chris, yes, these are two very different films. Someone may have liked Wonder Woman. Some people may have liked Soul. But I, and I kind of agree with a little bit with what you're saying. Should they have been on the they are should they have been released on the same even even uh they should should they have been as accessible as each other? Because I think Soul would have probably been better in movie theaters. I I guarantee you if I had seen Soul in theaters, I would have preferred to. I would have had a better time in that experience. I know Austin feels differently, but I still haven't seen Soul. Mm. Okay. Um. But I feel. But it's just kind of like. You have something that feels. You have something that feels a little bit more corporate. HBO or Warner or someone said that they are going to release six DC films a year starting twenty twenty two. They don't give a fuck who writes it, who directs it, who's in it. It's happening. You know There's what I mean? A, <laughs> like we it's said, it's happening. happening. It's happening. And four and four of them are four of them are going to be in theaters, and two of them are going to be HBO Max exclusives. And they've announced that two of the projects that they are hoping for is that Batwoman or Batgirl, I'm, I'm not sure, and Static Shock are going to HBO Max streaming. So there's already just kind of like, um, I think with this streaming, there's just already like they're picking and choosing which ones. Even though Static Shock, the film, 
or Batgirl or Batwoman could be extremely fantastic films that deserve to be seen on the big screen. But they're not good enough. And that's my concern is that now before you get to go to a theater and decide for yourself whether something was good enough or not, you know, do you think you're more likely to like a movie after seeing it in theaters than Mm, seeing it on streaming? No, no, actually, that's a good point, because while I love the theater experience, it can also hurt some films. And I think or give or seeing it at home might change the experience. Like I mean, what, in a movie I, theater experience, what hurts the film? Yeah. Uh, what about very, that experience? Uh, I, I, Chris and I saw The Irishman in theaters. <laughs> That's a three and a half hour movie. I walked out kind of lukewarm. Uh, I think Chris preferred it more than me. I was like, it was it was cool. It's, it's not what I expected. But I walked out lukewarm. You know, I was just kind of thinking, well, you know, it's, I'm just not crazy about it. You know, compared to other films that came out that year, Parasite, I walked out of Parasite in love. Oh, I was in love with that film. Irishman, I, I was lukewarm. I rewatched it a few uh, What about the, the that theatrical experience? Like you oh, going it, to the theater? Oh, it was Parasite was fucking incredible. No, no, no. What was that, bad about Irishman? Oh, like, oh, that experience. Irishman, <laughs> it was really long. I'm in a, and it was, there was, there were a lot of people in there, but you know, I'm a tall guy. I'm 6'2". You know, my legs were kind of cramped up. The theaters, the, there wasn't enough space, which isn't always the big problem. But the film is so jarring. You're just trying to figure out what's happening. And it's three and a half hours long. I had to pee halfway. So I, I was forcing it. So, so I'm like, I'm not going to so miss saying a long movies at home, short movies in the theater. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> I saw Wolf of Wall Street at in theaters. I saw it like twice. Another Scorsese film. It, and that's three hours long. Another Scorsese one. But I I can't... Again, I've been spending this whole time just jerking off movie theaters. But I would I have to be honest and say that when I saw Irishman at home, you know, I much preferred it. Actually, I walked out of... I walked out of... Uh, or I, I was on the couch. I, I went to bed thinking like, wow, that's a great movie. I so much more preferred it in, at home. Because I was able to keep my feet up. I was eating. I could pause it whenever I needed to. I could, you know, and this was granted my second time watching it. But I could appreciate so much more. I was able to read it with subtitles, which I love. I need subtitles for every film. So I just felt like I got so much more out of the film at home. And Chris, you saw the movie with him in theaters? I did, I did. How was your experience watching that movie? I honestly don't think that the theatrical movie ever hurts. The, the theatrical experience ever hurts a film for me. I think I judge everything ever. by the same criteria every time I watch it. So seeing it in theaters like can only enhance for me. Now, have you ever been in a theater where the sound wasn't calibrated properly or the bulb was old or the lights from the stairway kind of washed the picture? Yeah, I have. I have. And you don't think I would rather be watching this movie at home? No. Ever? No. If I've already made okay. my mind up in going to the theater and like being out and sitting down in those seats, I'm ready for that experience. I don't think I, I've never walked See, I, out of uh, a movie in the theater. I kind of I can't help but disagree with Chris a little bit because there are some moments where the light bulb is off or like I told uh, yeah. Austin, there was a there was like a I don't know what it was, a mark or there was like something wrong with the backdrop and it was like underneath the actor's nose. So it looked like they had a booger. It was so distracting. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, uh, Chris and I have another experience actually when we saw Jurassic Park um, oh, uh, yeah. Fallen Kingdom. Well, 
there was there was that baby that wouldn't shut the fuck up. The the crying baby, I don't put that on the movie or the theater experience. No, I no, blame no. the person. But it is though, isn't I it? Blame, that's, that's I blame that's the movie the theaters arts. Okay. And they should be brought outside. Death by firing squad. Oh. <laughs> them and the kids. I wanted to chuck that baby out. I but you can't to take him. them out of. That's just part of the movie going experience. Which, like, which when we it, went it, to go see La La Land, like this is like early in our relationship. Uh, we went to go see La La Land, and there was it was at the the ArcLight. I, I think the Hollywood one. So like a bunch of you know yuppies there, and <laughs> one of them threw their like their empty cup. They didn't like put it in the the cup holder so it ended up falling on my girlfriend and instead of apologizing they said it's empty you're fine and that took her out of the movie going experience one of the reasons i dislike the original godzilla is not even based on the film i watched it with my girlfriend in college and we watched it in imax and i was really excited and the couple in front of me they were um international they weren't or they might have been they were they were speaking in another language throughout the entire film and it wasn't like whispering it was like audible and my girlfriend at the time sweetest girl rarely ever got angry she i honestly i could only remember two instances where she got livid uh thankfully not at me but i don't believe that no we were always cool man hey she got annoyed with me uh, but there were two moments that she got really upset. One was with an argument with a friend of mine. Um, and the other was in that movie theater because she kept looking at me. And I was like, I just, just try to get into it. You know, I I can't blame her. I was being kind of a puss. I was like, just let it go. Just let it go. But these people were, they were being very disruptive. And she said something very cold, very matter of fact, like, can you guys keep it down, please? I cannot listen to the film. And they kept that shit going. She was about to rip into them. Thankfully, the film ended. And honestly, though, I was upset, too. I was super pissed. I'm like, what? Why the fuck? I spent 40 bucks on these tickets. My girlfriend paid for the concession. So we probably spent maybe 60, 70. And the the time, you know, this is free time that we didn't have because I was working full time. She was also like working and doing and studying and stuff. You know, and this is at night, and now this whole experience has been ruined, and I still have not rewatched Godzilla because oh, it just man. brings up really shitty memories, and that's not on the film. That yeah. is on that fucking couple. <sighs> it's just well, you know what? Now both of you can next Netflix and chill for the rest of your lives, okay? <laughs> Thank coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, that, like look- at the same time, still the like when we, when I went to go see Last Jedi. I will never forget that movie going experience. And I think that was like a really good crowd. Like when the, the when know, the like crowd's the hyper- good, the crowd is amazing. Yeah. Like it, the, the overall experience is incredible. The shock I- on people's faces. I remember I went, I went to go see it again with my little cousins. And when, uh, I guess they call it the Holdo maneuver. <laughs> when that <laughs> happened, like my, my little cousins were like so excited. You know, you could see like the, the flash of white on their faces. And like, I could, I, you can't get that at home. No. You know? Uh, same, I mean, same with Children of Men. When I saw it at the Arclight Dome, I'd seen Children of Men probably 10 times uh, close to that. But when I saw it in theater, it was a whole different experience. 
uh, Krampus. I mentioned that in an earlier podcast. The Dark Knight. I think we all had that. Where uh, The Dark Knight is probably one of those films that everyone has a story about when they saw it in theaters. It just blew their fucking minds. Uh, Mother. I, I saw it with Chris as well. And that was an incredibly rewarding experience. And I think what was so great was talking about it afterwards. Kind of just, you know, when you're standing outside of the auditorium and you're just like, well, what did you take away from this? And what did you, that's a, that's an amazing experience. Again, when it slaps, it slaps hard. But when it's annoying, you're, you're considering walking down to that baby, tossing it like a football and yeah. slapping the parents, you know, it, it's awful. My favorite it, theater is the, the Chinese theater. But oh, I, the, yeah. oh, the, the, I'd love when the movie's starting and, and then when it ends, like it's, it's the best place. But yeah. getting there, parking, waiting yeah. in line, I, I hate it. Every time, every time I'm there, there's like a, a thought, like maybe this was a mistake. Maybe I should have just paid for cheaper tickets at a time when it wasn't crowded. But, you know, when the movie's playing and everyone's in it, it's like the, the, best, the best way to watch a movie. Oh, I, I love the Chinese theater. You get the lit, you you get the hot dogs with the bacon outside. Like that's that's how it's that's gotta gross. be, man. <laughs> that's, that's gross. No, it, it no. They Overpriced are keychains. <laughs> they are great. Well, people ask, is this the line? Is this the? Line? <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, I just um. So we've given our thoughts, some of our anxieties and skepticism and stuff. But I'm curious, what did you what do you guys think about the film overall, side by side? I. I, I I enjoy it. I think um, I this is my second time seeing it, um, albeit I hadn't seen it in a while, maybe two or three years. Um, and uh, I think it does a really good job of giving a lot of information. I think my only beef with it is probably, and, and this is a personal thing because I think maybe this is against what the movie is trying to do, but I would have liked to hear a little more from the interviews of people who are in defense of film. Like, I feel like towards the end, it definitely becomes an argument for digital technology. And like I said, I think that might be the point of the movie. So maybe I'm, um, maybe that's just a personal thing that I wish the movie did more. Um, but yeah, I, I think the only thing is I, I would like for it to have been a little more neutral. Um, but outside of that, I think, they got a lot of people in that thing, man. They so got, many. Like, a lot of heavy hitters to talk of, like pretty earnestly talk about this uh, this shift. Like I think the only beef, the only other beef I would have is, man, I wish the interviews were longer. Like I would have liked to see the full interviews for like everyone. Like that footage that they have is golden wherever it is. Yeah. Um, well, because these yeah. are these are legends and uh these are people who have been in the industry for decades uh, some of them have been in the decade for decades in the industry for yeah. decades and they have so much knowledge and so much experience and it's a like it's every person in that doc worked on a hitter yeah. you know what i mean there wasn't any like oh this is the b team like whether it was an editor a director cinematographer even the colorist everyone worked on a hitter so like and they're living this shift like it, it, it's great as far as the convert. Like I just wish it was longer. Yeah, it's as long as Wonder Woman eighty four. <laughs> the movie, is, the documentary is only one hour and thirty eight minutes. Very short. Very short. Um, Austin, what did you what did you think about the doc? I really liked it. I thought it was a great insight on all of these these people that who's who've made movies that I've watched. You know, and I also think it 
it's interesting because I was watching it with my girlfriend. She's not like a big film person. Like she didn't recognize the names of the people in the movie until they showed what movie they were they worked on. Like they showed the um, Danny Boyle a lot in the mm-hmm. in the documentary. And when they threw up to that clip of uh, 28 Days Later, she was like, oh, that guy. And it so it occurred to me that like, oh, this is this is her like an insight for her on like the people that make these movies. So when she got to like the Nolan parts where he's saying stuff like, if you think this is cinema, you're kidding yourself. She kind of scoffed and was like, this guy's a fucking elitist. What I find is the manipulations that the digital media like to do. They are seductive, but ultimately they're a little bit hollow. The analogy I would always use is, I remember the summer when uh, Chips Ahoy or whoever, they came up with these chocolate chip cookies that were like they just came out of the oven and they were soft. I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's a soft cookie. And, and then after a couple of months, you're like, oh, no, this is some horrible chemical crap that's, that's giving this bad illusion that fools you at first. You know, um, and I, I, I didn't really think about that as much until I saw it from her perspective. And there's a lot of elitism about film. There's a lot of like you know, people saying that this this is good when I do it, I know how to do it the right way because I learned my history and all that. And they just kind of have a block on anything past that, a block on learning new skills to do new things. They just kind of want to stay in the same comfortable field that they've been in, you know? Well, that was just just to harp on what you just said about Nolan. That's why I wish the interviews were longer because you can clearly tell in that cut he was that was not the end of his sentence. Like, what was he saying after that? Like, I want to yeah. know, like, because you can tell the sound kind of fades a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. In order to get, you know, to the next thing. Were... I get it, you know, in the, in the, we got the point and, you know, in, in, in the absence of time, but. There was also the, the guy who was talking about the Canon 5D, which is mm-hmm. a camera that I loved using when I was at, at UCI. It was, mm-hmm. was, was that great. That was the camera we, we had access to. We had access to the 60D. Oh, 60D. We had, yeah, you had right. to like know somebody in like the camera department that had the 5D. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was saying something. And then the interview kind of, he, he said like, oh, but it's not good enough. You know, if I was in film school, I would have loved to have it. And then it kind of cuts off before he gets to finish that thought. I what, did it, notice that. Was that the cinematographer of Street Fighter? Yeah, that was a cinematographer. Uh, yeah, he he's it's like dev- it's great. It's hair, but it's not good enough. Yeah. yeah, but it's but it's also I think what's interesting about that is there there is some elitism there. That's not to deny it, but it's also someone who takes their craft very seriously. And it's like, look, yes, digital cameras are the thing of the future, but they're just not good enough right now. So we shouldn't just basic. I'm, I'm just gonna be blunt. We shouldn't suck its dick now. We need to keep pushing further. And further, and I'm not going to just say, "Well, it looks okay." No, I I think it looks bad. I think it looks bad, and and even George Lucas said it. We are at the pinnacle of celluloid, but at the very beginning of digital. Yeah, but being at there at the beginning, it's not and that man, great. Yeah, it's what this documentary makes you respect the hell out of George Lucas. I'll tell you that. Hell mm-hmm. yes. For as much yeah. as that man maybe has fallen off his Star Wars universe, and maybe he doesn't understand three act structure. That man cares about technology. He yeah. well, he's just trying to find new ways of innovating. He's thinking ahead. And look, and I respect Nolan 
and Tarantino and Scorsese and all these other and cinematographers. It, those guys are the good storytellers, but like Tarantino will die on film. Yes. You know what I mean? Whereas George Lucas, yeah, he's look, man, he's not you know what I mean? Like you might not walk out of that movie feeling like you watched the you masterpiece. Know, <laughs> you watched a masterpiece. But, but behind the scenes he made a lot of people work hard to make it, you know. Man, I, I haven't seen a movie that's more memed than Star Wars Episode Three. So maybe right. maybe it was a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> but he but this man was trying to innovate and he's like, Look, people are gonna laugh at me, they're gonna criticize me, but this is the way of the future. He's fucking Howard Hughes. It's, <laughs> but it's he's like a, he, he but did that's what like he's a, trying to do. He's he's trying to push the game and ultimately the way I feel about this doc is the way I feel about this distribution. I love film and I love the people and the auteurs that came before it and respect them for not for what they said, uh, not trying to turn uh, in their paintbrushes for crayons. I can respect that and having a serious affection for this stuff and knowing their craft and saying, this is what I'm used to. This is what I like painting with. But I also it makes me respect the shit out of Lucas because, damn, that man is that man's thinking about 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. We are definitely getting to the point where going to a theater is going to be an event. And if you want to experience that event, you better fucking pay up. And I'm, I'm You're already kind of paying up, though, aren't you? You, you just told me about uh, the trip to the theaters with your girlfriend that cost 70 bucks with concessions. Yeah. Oh, but that's and that but that's going to only get higher. That's only going to get higher. It's going to be There's 100 no bucks it's... in your your vision of theaters as being a premium experience isn't out of line. No, I think it's totally going to What do you mean? I'm one of those people that are willing to pay for the premium experience even if ticket prices go up and stuff. My only concern is I don't want to lose that possible experience with a large number of films. Because I guarantee you, if I had to pay $70 to watch Krampus in theaters, I love the shit out of that movie. I'm not going to pay $70. I can't I can't justify it. And I'm someone who is ride or die with movie theaters. I can't. And when you do that, you're, lo- you're there's a chance that you're m- losing a special moment, a special film that you're going to react to it. You know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, um, reviews coming out and Twitter coming out and people looking at that and saying, well, I don't want to watch it anymore. That to me is kind of negative because I feel like everyone should give a film a chance, you know, maybe even if it's not your taste. Hell, just maybe give it a chance. But it's becoming less and less. And for every viewer out there, for every person, there's that one film that they saw that they weren't expecting to hit them the way it did. And maybe they experienced that in a movie theater. And to them, that was a moment of just pure bliss. But the chances of that happening in the future are looking to get smaller. Granted, you'll experience it at home. And hell, you may not have a baby. You may not have that fucking douchebag behind you who drops a drink on you. I've had someone throw a drink at me. Wow. And that fucking sucks. <laughs> but it's a it's a trade-off. <laughs> I, I'm conflicted. You're mm-hmm. tearing me apart, okay, so, Lisa. Hey, hey, hold on. Let me, let me ask a bigger question. In relation to side by side, or at least how side by side is presented, it presents um, the film versus digital debate as an inevitability, but oh. it also pretty much makes it seem like, you know, the the films are that this was inevitable because it was a necessity. Like, in order to have visual effects, in order to make the pipelines better, in order to do all of this crazy stuff, it was just going to be easier to make everything digital. Digitals just needed to catch up to the quality of film. But once it caught up to the quality, we'd be fine. 
So all in all, it seems like the film versus digital debate was not going to affect the quality of films coming out, right? Do we think that's the same thing here? Do we think that this debate is still irrelevant to the quality of films that will come out? Like whether or not a movie debuts on streaming or in the theater, do we think that movies are going to get worse because of this? No, I don't think so. Do we think budgets are going to change? Like Yes. Oh, you think they will? I think they're going to get lower. I think movies are going to get cheaper to make and we're going to get more of them. I I mean that makes sense. How can you how can you justify putting, you know, 200 million dollars into a movie that's going straight to streaming services? You're losing money. That that's the only I mean unless you're wonderful. Well, we Woman, don't know that. We don't well, know if 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 they're losing money. Technically. Or not. I mean, uh, well with what with something sorry. Didn't Wonder Woman like Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot had to get compensated for the HBO Max deal? Yes, they they each yeah, I they, think they, they got out. I think the cast got like 10 million on top of it. And I mean can something can something like Dune be made for streaming service exclusively? I don't know. We don't know. That's the crazy thing. In terms of the quality, I don't think it's going to dip. I I don't think the the ter- the quality is ever going to dip regardless of what happens, you know? Someone can say, "Oh, having digital cameras means that there's more crap out there." Eh, totally valid, but there's I think there's a number of good things that can come from it as well. I mean, Tangerine was shot on that fucking iPhone and that's one of the best films of the decade, I think. I don't think quality is going to drop. I think what's going to happen is the amount of eyes, the number of eyes on a good product that isn't a Disney or Universal or Warner Brothers films. And we're already seeing that happening. Because like you said, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix. It's impossible to watch everything. So you're going to watch something that your friends are talking about or that you, there's online chatter about. But in terms of good quality content, just you might not you might miss it. Because at least before, the way I imagined it was everything had a chance in movie theaters. But when big, but when budgets got bigger and superheroes became a thing, mid-budget films were relegated to streaming services or indie theaters. So they were re- so they could reliably find an audience in streaming services. But now that you have something like Wonder Woman and all these other AAA premium movies coming out on streaming services, I think it's going to push all of that, all the indies back. There are so many good indie films that people are not going to watch. Good indie films that may have not gotten 10 Oscar nominations, but that still had a lot of good stuff in it. I think that's my concern because there's so many good films on Netflix that nobody has seen. I'm like, well, what what the fuck? Where where this film deserves way more attention. Why isn't it getting it? And why isn't it getting it? Well, because, you know, Wonder Woman 2099 got released and I'm going to watch that, you know, or Soul. You know, or Mandalorian yeah, season but I three. I think that was the same thing with the theaters. I mean, the, yeah. we've been talking. It, it, you know, the the big budget movies coming out and taking over more screens than they maybe should. You know, I think. Um, again, I ask if you know, if in the grand scheme of things, we look back at this twenty, thirty years from now, and we still have top tier movies coming out every year, and we get to watch them then if there's theaters or not does it matter if there's film or not does it matter as long as 
there's consumer choice and good movies coming out? Or does it matter because it makes you uncomfortable? And is that justifiable? Is that totally valid? Shit. If Scorsese can make a Netflix original that blows a shit ton of budget, but shit, he got to make his three-hour movie that Paramount wouldn't do for him, then does it matter? Which he probably shot on digital. I don't know exactly what he shot on, but he probably shot on digital. No, he, he shot digital. Could've you know Wonder movie. Woman was shot on film? It was. And Wonder Woman 100%. was shot on film. So look at that. Imagine if The Irishman came out in theater, on, on streaming only, and Wonder Woman shot on film came out in theaters. And obviously everyone prefers, and if everyone prefers The Irishman, then does that invalidate this whole argument? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know, man. You you bring up an excellent point. I have no fucking clue. I don't know. It's 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 interesting, and I don't know that. Um, I, well, obviously we don't have the answers, but I think um, at the end of the day, I think um, the the people who are really gonna thrive in this industry that aren't backed by a famous last name or nepotism or going to the right school they're going to be the people who um embrace the new and embrace the new ways in distribution and ways how to shoot because i think uh at the end of the day good content is is uh, at the end of the day with the pen and paper and a good idea i think the way that audiences like engage with movies is is different now like because when you're when you're watching it streaming at your home you're not engaged with it the same way. It might not be mm-hmm. the thing that you're watching primarily. You know, I think when you're sometimes when I'm with friends watching a movie, I I hate that experience. I hate like I remember one time we watched The Witch, and The Witch is a very like it's a slow burn movie. It's a movie that they don't talk in a way that's easy to understand, and if you're not watching it in in, in the conditions where that's like the main thing you're focused on it it's not a very good watch same thing with uh the lodge another it's like slow paced film if you're watching it with a bunch of friends and you're trying to like pop each other with jokes like it's it's ruins the experience true but they talked about that in um or they touched on it at least in side by side when they talked to the colors right they talked about how every projector is different and maybe they have the brightness up too high maybe it's a little low maybe they haven't calibrated you know what i mean like there's when or at least i and i from from even a personal standpoint with the you know the little short films that i made i'm always worried about like you know what i mean yeah with headphones or like don't watch with headphones for some reason like the sound only went through the left channel for for one of my shorts or you know what i mean there's always going to be something when you're when you're making so like man i hope that they consume it the right way Mm -hmm. you know what i mean when you i would remember like showing a film and the frame rate was off and i just felt like i felt like dying like i was just (laughs) dying i wanted that moment to be over so bad but you don't get to choose how people watch your films i guess no i mean well unless you're one of the big guys but at this point, even their power well, is losing out. Yeah, even that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, even you know, because Dennis sco- is over here in a fetal position, knowing that his shit is going straight to streaming. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
and the, uh, well, was, Scorsese um, even had to even had to compromise. He's like, I've been wanting to make Irishman for years, but I got to make it with Netflix because they're the only ones who are gonna make it. So while I wish this was in theaters, I gotta put it on Netflix. Even there, even they're coming around. Damn, Chris, did you have a film that made you want to pursue it, pursue film as a career? A film? Yeah. Did, did any film like trigger that filmmaker inside of you to like, yes, this is what I want to do? Not in a very climactic or like fun way, but um, yeah. Um, in a sense, I think I may have told you this, George. I know I told Jacob, but it was because it was in a conversation with Jacob. <clears throat> it was actually District 9. Mm-hmm. I saw District 9. And it didn't make me like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. I think it, District 9, when I saw it, it was one of the first movies that I really saw that f- the effects were so good and well um, well done as far as like putting this alien in like a very human environment. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Avatar came out the same year and yeah, it was like great digitally but it felt like i was watching a cartoon you know what i mean like or like a a cartoon in a video game yeah it was like yeah it looks good but the whole thing's fake um same with kind of transformers to a uh, to an extent even though i love transformers i think the effects are great um but district nine was like in the dirt and running through these industrial areas and you got this guy turning into one of the aliens and i was just like wow we we made it you know what i mean like (laughs) i was I was fooled for the entirety of that movie until I left and like really thought about it. like, oh yeah, that was fake. Um, and uh, that's when I was like, oh, well, we got there. And I'm a really big Halo fan. I was like, well, we can probably do, that was the biggest thing for me like with, with Halo when they were talking about making a Halo movie years and years ago when like Halo 3 came out. Yeah, I was like, ah, we ain't, we ain't there. You know what I mean? You'd see like the, the the footage that got leaked and stuff is like eh this doesn't look good but after watching district now it's like we can someone's gonna make this eventually like we're we made it yeah and i was like well it might as well be me um and that's when i started writing i really started writing um and then once i started writing then that's when the directing came in because we wanted to start testing the waters and how do you become a writer and all that kind of stuff um so kind of district nine and not even i mean the story of district nine is really fun but just seeing how far we had come with visual effects really opened my eyes to like we can do like if i was fooled then like i was like okay the the, we made as far as vfx like i think there's a lot more possibilities for for world building now that just weren't open before um even a decade earlier and I think that yeah, film from, uh, wasn't it shot nine. all on digital too. District Nine. Yeah. Um, District Nine was shot. I actually, do not know. It was. Uh, it was shot digitally. That was his second film. No, 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 that wasn't. He made a short film where he designed the creatures, the the, the prawns, and um, yeah, it was it was shot digitally because it was a low budget film. It wasn't the thing about Avatar was it had hundreds of millions of dollars and had a big. That's true. Studio. Yeah, and it was technology, was not, technology was invented was to make that film. movie. District Nine was super small, um, really small. They got away with a lot of VFX, and the great thing and is look, that they I, all look good. I haven't seen that movie in a really long time. I've probably only seen it twice. 
But like I said, it only took that one time for me to see it in theaters and be completely fooled that made me realize that we had arrived. Or at least arrived to a certain milestone. You know what I mean? That is like, I, this, this is doable. Yeah, you sound like uh, Robert Rodriguez from the film right now. I'm following Ben <laughs> Kenobi. He knows where to go. <laughs> I'm going digital. No, but I mean, but I mean, that's that kind of. I mean, you in a way, you do have that same mentality as Robert Rodriguez, um, where he's just kind of like, I'm going to do this either way, and the possibilities are way open now. Robert Rodriguez had to film El Mariachi on uh, 16 millimeter or something on film. It, he said it was complicated. He's like, so now that I've got these cameras, I'm just going to go out and shoot it. I'm going to get my friends and fuck it. Regardless of how it, we're going to do it. It doesn't matter how we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Kind of have that same mentality. I mean, of course, I've, I've, you know, once I went down the rabbit hole, that's when I really started watching movies for emotion and story mm-hmm. rather than, ooh, look at the alien. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, 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 we move, you know, we've come a long way, but um, at the same time, I think philosophically for me um being a filmmaker is 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 being able to create a world and make it feel real and fill it with lore um because you know at the end of the day which is another thing they talked about in side by side the archival process and how like iffy it is in a lot of ways you know at the end of the day for me as a filmmaker if I make a handful, if I'm lucky enough to make a handful of movies and I, you know, the archival process is beyond me. Um, it's up to the studio, however they want. And say my movie isn't around in 60 years. I'm always going to have, I hopefully will always have those props. I always have that script. I always have, you know what I mean? The remnants of this world that I was able to build. And I've already started doing that with shorts. You know what I mean? Keeping a lot of memorabilia and stuff like that world exists. You know, it it exists on film um, or digital or, you know what I mean? Like, it exists. We built it. It's done, you know, uh, unless we want to return to it. So <laughs> that's uh, which, you know, studios love because sequels. <laughs> but uh, that's what it is for me. So I think uh, everything else is a personal preference, whether people get to see it in a theater or shot on film. I mean, I hell, I'd still love to shoot something on film. Will I ever get the chance? I don't. I don't know. But I'd like to shoot a movie on film. Um, but I don't mind if it's digital. Will it go straight to Netflix or a streaming service? I don't know. Will I get a theatrical run? Who knows? <laughs> but I know for me, it's less about the medium it's shot on or the medium of distribution. It sounds like the most important thing to you is creating a world that seems fully realized and envelops its audience. Right. And you don't, it doesn't seem like we need film to do that. You did go to the the theater and see it in theaters. So you got that experience. That is true. And that seemed like if I would have been as fooled as I was, if I did not see that movie mm -hmm. in theaters, I I think that's true for me it was also that same like creating a world that's that seems fully realized but i got that from watching eraser head on my like tiny little screen oh well there you go there's the counter argument and that's just black and white yeah it doesn't even properly reflect reality it's not reflecting reality well at least not the reality is as we see it people that aren't david lynch see it 
<laughs> but it's it just the atmosphere of that movie was just super super powerful the way people acted it wasn't like i was used to seeing but it, it was still like the same like i'm i'm believing this this world I'm, i feel like i'm in it and i think george so you you, you mm-hmm. said your film was children of men well i've had a i had a few films uh chris knows this but i'm i'm kind of a basic bitch mine's was pulp fiction <laughs> and that was not in a movie you saw in theaters <laughs> it's uh no i i didn't I, i've never seen pulp fiction on theaters but uh pulp fiction was the one where i kind of started taking uh f- film viewing a bit more serious and i was like this is kind of cool i did see children of men early on probably like the same time and that was another well i saw i spoke to about it children of men because I, I only watched it because my uncle was talking shit about it but uh I mean, there's a lot of films I haven't seen in theaters, you know. Well, that's but I, a that's I a good point. Them. That that's a good point as far as you know, old versus new guard, right? I think a lot of the old guard, the only way they could see movies was yeah. in the theaters, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of their fondest memories and their first memories are in a fucking movie theater. Yeah. Whereas us, you got TVs finally. We had VHS. I mean, the first movie I saw was on a VHS, and I fell in love with Toy Story. Star Wars mm-hmm. for me. I never saw that movie in theaters. It's crazy. So it's it's you know it's um like I said it's it's an inevitability, but at the same time, will it affect the quality of films down the line? And that is um something we have yet to see because not all the old guard is dead you know I, mean, I, I <laughs> so think uh, the... we'll know when tarantino is gone and, or Tar- or, and nolan edgar wright is gone and nolan's oh, no. gone and danny boyle's gone and we're all that's left how fucked up the game really is <laughs> <laughs> so chris thank you so much for your time um where can of people course, find you um, well, like I said, follow me on TikTok. No, I'm kidding. I don't have TikTok. Although I guess I should. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess right now, just, uh, Twitter and Instagram, like, uh, like we mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing some more fun stuff on social soon, but what's your you know, social that stuff is very much under construction. Um, so, you know, Instagram gray underscore one, five, one G R E Y underscore one, five, one. And then, um, on the tweeters, at gray with an e gray infinity um one word one word where you can find you boy nice thanks i think that's what it is sorry no it's not it's not <laughs> it. oh god <laughs> it's gray underscore infinity gray underscore infinity you know gray we'll underscore we'll infinity. just there you go george will edit this to make it sound like you know exactly what your twiddle Twitter, no, no, I'm Twitter. keeping all of this. Oh, I'm keeping all of this. <laughs> I'm on t- I'm on Twitter where the kids are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm there. What are you doing here, old man? <laughs> this isn't for you. I guess not. <laughs> well, thanks again, Chris. This was an awesome talk. Uh, now we're going to be taking a short break. We're going to be moving on to our second guest. Chris, thank you again. Yep, thank you guys. And we'll see you guys in a sec. Are you done with film? Don't hold me to it, Keanu, but I think I am. We are going through a very significant and large transition in cinema. And the digital process democratizes the whole thing. 
I think without digital video, I don't think I ever would have been making movies. Basically, in my head, I was like, you've got to be like a dude who knows how to operate machines to do this job. I'm always looking for whatever is new to help just push the art form even further, to be able to make the things that you couldn't envision the day before. There isn't yet a superior or even an equal imaging technology to film, but we're being forced into transition. You can't shoot 3D on film. So film has been dead in my heart for 10 years. I hate 3D. I put on those glasses, I get sick to my stomach. The whole 3D phenomenon, it's a marketing scheme, isn't it? I really felt I should call film on the phone and say I've met someone, because I really thought, okay, this is the future. The issue is it's different. How is it different than how do you use it to tell a story? It's up to the filmmaker. All right, everyone. So this is the first part of our New Year's special retrograde episode. Thanks again to Chris for coming on. Austin, thanks for joining us. Join Next, I'm, I'm part of the show. I, I, get, to, I, I don't have a choice. That, that is true. We're so, in this together, man. We are. We're like Toretto and Brian from The Fast and the Furious. Who? Brian and Toretto. Toretto! Vin Diesel. Oh, I... I thought you said Beretta, and I'm like, the, the guy that murdered his wife? What? No, get out of here. <laughs> so, Austin, who are we having on for the second part of our New Year's special? For the second part of our New Year's special, we are having a friend of ours, a fellow UCI alumni, uh, Dylan Damodar, who works for a distribution company. So he's going to give us a little bit of how the HBO Max deal and also how the the COVID-19 pandemic, how that's affecting the film industry from the distribution side. So we're going to be learning a lot in that episode. Uh, yeah. To, to our listeners, this week's episode was really focused on trying to, we're just theorizing about where things are headed, you know, with theater releases during the pandemic and for the future. But the second episode is going to be very much grounded in in information data that is out there right now. We're going to be figuring out what's happening and where people feel things are going from Dylan's side. Yes, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms. You know, we're on Twitter and Instagram, and we even have a Facebook, but I'm really slow with updating the Facebook. Um, our Twitter and Instagram is at retrograde underscore pod. Retrograde being one word and then underscore pod. And also, we we have a, this cool like Discord server going on. So, if you message, if you DM us on Twitter or something, I can give you a link and you can join in on the Retrograde Podcast Discord. You can throw in some movie suggestions and you know talk about some of the episodes if you want. We can all play Among Us as well. Oh that yeah, we got an Among Us going on. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one. See you on the next one.